You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. My long-term crystal ball is White Center is going to be like a Ballard at some point. Yeah. And so if you had another entertainment district, like just not that far away from, from a location like that, then I think you could see home values rising and neighborhoods changing. That's Seattle realtor Phil Greeley making a prediction about how Seattle real estate will be affected by the city's decision of where to put an NBA-ready arena. Sonic Boom Day is coming April 17th. People from around the city will be sharing their voice with city council on the same day so that wishes of Seattle residents can be heard loud and clear. Prepare yourself by listening to today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, which focuses on how the arena location decision would affect your wallet through its effect on rents, home values, and further development. I'm Jeff Schulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. City leaders will soon be deciding whether to pave the way for a new sports and entertainment arena at a Soto location or to renovate Seattle's key arena. I set out to see how this would affect you and life in this city. In today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, I sit down with Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist at Windermere Real Estate. He shares whether now is a good time to be a seller or a buyer and how he anticipates the arena location impacting renters, homeowners, and home buyers. Realtors Tyler Davis-Jones and Phil Greeley join me together in a conversation about how a return of the Sonics would affect their lives and their business. Craig Kinzer, founder of Kinzer Partners, which participated in the development of Safeco Field, discusses the risks involved in a major capital project such as an arena construction or remodel and what an arena may mean for its surrounding neighborhood. With Sonic Boom Day coming April 17th, these conversations will help you understand how an arena would affect you and your financial well-being. This season of Seattle Growth Podcast is focused on giving a rich understanding of how a return of the NBA franchise Seattle Supersonics and the arena they call home would affect you and life in this city. In the previous episode, you heard three perspectives on a key arena remodel. You heard from the director of Seattle's Office of Economic Development, Brian Surratt, who is leading the city's request for proposals on a key arena renovation. That vote from council and the willingness of two private developers coming to us saying, there could be an opportunity with, with Key Real. I think we uh, felt compelled, frankly, as public stewards that we need to understand what happens there. You heard from Debbie Frosto of Seattle's Uptown Alliance. People are concerned about what happens to the trash that it's expanded into the neighborhoods. That was actually one thing that came up in our community meeting. And you heard from Lance Lopes of Oakview Group, a company expected to respond to the city's request for proposals. There are millions of people go to Seattle Center every year. The Space Needle alone draws over 2 million people a year. So this is a hub of our city. And to have the arena continue to be in the hub of our city is something that I personally think is a great idea. As Director Surratt described in the last episode, the Port of Seattle's concerns about a Soto Arena location is one reason why the city has opted to explore Key Arena. In episode three of this season, you heard Dave Gehring, executive director of the Manufacturing Industrial Council, describe one of his concerns about a Soto location. So I think it's a concern about not mitigating what the actual impacts would be, or how would we do that, what assurances would there be, and then I think the sort of cumulative impact about then what would all come along with that. To get an understanding of what changes one can expect to the neighborhood surrounding an arena, Join me as I sit down with the CEO of Kinzer Partners. I am here at Kinzer Partners with the founder of Kinzer Partners, Craig Kinzer. Craig, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about Kinzer Partners. Kinzer Partners is a 25-year-old firm that specializes in um, both advisory services, primarily for nonprofits, corporations, governmental entities, and also relocation of um, headquarters and representing you know, tenants in general who are looking for new space. Do you want to tell me a little bit about some of the, the big projects that uh, are landmark uh, signatures? Yeah, so we, we tend to have a reputation for doing, you know, larger, more complex projects. For example, uh, the Gates Foundation headquarters where we had to work with the city to talk them into selling a portion of the Seattle Center, somewhat unusual. Starbucks headquarters where you took an old Sears warehouse that was storage and you turn it into a um, brand new Class A headquarters with obviously a lot of expansion space. Uh, Children's Hospital, assembling two blocks downtown, uh, buying a current facility, accelerating their research you know, by many years, and at the same time, uh, figuring out how to 
uh, take an old building that was about to be demolished, rehab it, lease it to Amazon, and we made children's about $100 million uh, you know, on a deal like that. Uh, Russell Investments, moving them from Tacoma to here and buying Washington uh, Mutual Tower, which is now has, you know, Russell Tower. Um, city Hall buying uh, uh, what was then Key Tower for the city for 50 cents on the dollar. It was the tallest city hall in the world. Uh, so these are the type of projects that, and, and type of clients that, that we represent. So you have all this experience in, in large and complex projects, and right now there are some proposals underway to get a large complex project uh, completed, which is an, an arena here in, in Seattle, a new NBA or NHL arena. What could you tell us about some of the risks uh, of a major capital project such as that? Yes, and you know, one of the examples that I forgot to mention of, of all things was I also was responsible for the land acquisition and moving all of the buildings for Safeco Field. Um, and so I'm familiar with that kind of a large 500 million to a billion dollar project. Uh, the risks are clearly, first and foremost, you know, going over budget. This is assuming that you've gotten the go ahead, you're now you know, building it, you have the team, so you, you know, all that risk is, is gone. Um, at that point in time, you know, I, I think you, you always look when you're building a facility like an arena at what are the revenue sources. And you, you have your anchor, say an NBA team. Maybe you also have a hockey team. But when many people forget to make those things financially sustainable, you need sponsorship, corporate sponsorship, and you need other events, right, to, to fill it. And that's usually the risk. If you don't build it well so that it handles, you know, music well and, and other kinds of venues that need the space, you don't make it flexible enough, um, you can find a situation where it's not meeting your revenue projections. Are there any other risks associated with the major capital project that the owners or investors in that project would take on? What I'm asking is what else can go wrong when you're developing you know, a $500 million project? So many things could go wrong, but they all do fit into cost overruns. I mean, ultimately everything has a cost. And many people think of construction, but there's a lot of other things that go on during that, that process. You can even begin to move into just the economics of the team itself and the risks you take being in a league and, you know, is the league going to continue to be successful? What are TV revenues going to be? All of, you know, those types of risks. If you're just talking about the facility itself, you know, the primary risk is if you build it, will they come, right? Can you continue to fill the stadium? And or the arena with with fans meeting your projections other sports teams and and like i said earlier other types of uh entertainment uh revenue sources what are the risks to the city of letting such a, a major complex capital project go under the way if there's public subsidy well you know there's the risk of is is that subsidy well spent and does it give you the benefits you want I almost certainly think it will, so I want to put that aside. I think many people would immediately talk about, you know, uh, the public investment in it. But let's say that uh, there is no public investment, so we just, you know, they just spend their, their money. So what is the risk? Anytime you bring another major professional sports team into a city like this, you have to ask yourself, how is that going to affect the other entertainment venues and the other sports franchises. Um, I am on the board of Safeco Field, and, and so I study a lot of what's happening in professional sports, as I did when I was uh, with the Sonics. And you can look at ticket sales and, and just general public expenditures, and the question is, do you increase the amount of those expenditures when you bring in a new team, or are you just redistributing those fixed constant dollars? And so as the public, which is interested in all of these teams being successful, and as the owners of the other teams, you know, there's, there's a point at which you're concerned about the drop in that um, fixed fan base. Um, and that's a risk, because you don't know. I th I'm sure there's a lot of Sonics fans that would spend money that otherwise they wouldn't spend. But how many people would maybe spend less money at the Mariners or, you know, 
with other uh, sports teams. And so there are a lot of people in Seattle who may not care about basketball, but care deeply about the future of this city. Can you share some insight as to what an impact of an NBA arena would be on its surrounding area? Uh, what would happen to property values? If you were developing it, what would you put in there? Well, let's start with, with property values, because I think what I'll say might surprise people a little bit. Um, I don't see property values immediately being impacted. And as I say that, it's clearly uh, dependent upon where is the arena. Seattle Center is very different than the Soto area, right? Seattle Arena is fairly well built out. It was actually built out prior with the Sonics. And so you do have some increase in economic activity. Restaurants do better. There is some lifting up, of course. The primary benefactor, of course, will be Seattle Center itself and the you know, activity that, that comes from having a, an NBA team there. Property values go up a little bit because if you have percentage rents and retail is doing better, you know, obviously everything goes up somewhat. But uh, based on uh, the upzone and the value already put into the effectively into these properties now, I don't see a huge increase in that area. Over in Soto, I also don't see an immediate increase in value. We certainly didn't see it with uh, you know, either of the other stadiums. Over time, uh, if the proper zoning and growth occur around the stadiums, you will see a growth in property values, but that to a large degree is not solely based on the new arena. It can be a catalyst, and, and that's something that the city planners have to look at is how does this work? You know, you're using uh, this land for a certain use which has intermediate density. Every now and then, 15,000 people there, as opposed to a large office building or something where you have constant people there every day. So sometimes you have to look at the alternative. And if you had more density, uh, and I know it's kind of related to one of your other questions of what goes around the stadium, but if you had more density of entertainment, you know, housing, and office, in some ways that can be also, you know, or even more so, an economic generator, just like what you've seen here in South Lake Union. To me, when I think of what does a new arena and new team do, it's really much more powerful for the city as a whole, for the general public, and you only have to look at all of the excitement around the Seahawks. The things that I like about uh, the fan base with the Seahawks, it is so diverse, right? As we all look at all of our differences, you know, did you vote for Trump or Hillary? Are you left or right? You know, are you black or white or Hispanic? You know, do you earn a lot of money or a little money? None of that matters. You can all wear, you know, a Richard Sherman, you know, Seahawks shirt, right? And, you're, and, and so that's so powerful for the city to kind of come together like that. And that's what professional franchises do. And I think an NBA team does the same thing. The other thing that I would mention, and I, I would guess your listeners probably aren't going to like to hear this, but my personal view of Seattle is not a great sports town. When I say great, I mean diehard fans. Like you go to some other cities, and it doesn't matter if the team's losing. The, it's still a full stadium, right? Uh, even if they're wearing paper bags over their head, it's a full stadium. Here in Seattle, when teams start to lose, attendance goes down. Of course, when they win, all of a sudden attendance goes up. Some might hope that if the Seahawks have a down two, three years, that the fever would stay. But historically, that has never happened in Seattle. You've never seen a team that has done well and then slid and attendance has stayed the same. And so the, my point with that is if you have another team, you now have a greater chance that you're always going to have at least one winning team. And so going back to the impact of that team in that arena on its surrounding area, if I have a condo in Queen Anne or I have a condo in Pioneer Square, am I getting excited or rooting for one of the arenas versus another? You know, my guess is you're, you're probably, most people might not want the arena there depending on, um, you know, traffic patterns and and that kind of, you know, are you bothered by congestion. Uh, if indeed it brings in more amenities that you would not otherwise have that you can walk to, then you absolutely want it. If all it is is certain times of the year, 
it's more difficult to get to your condo, well, then you're probably saying, geez, I'd rather have it on the other side of town. The prices for residential real estate, you don't anticipate getting a bump from an arena nearby? If all you do is put in the arena, and that's the catch. If with the arena comes more development, which includes, like I said, the three-legged stool, I call it, you know, retail, that that also includes like civic amenities, um, commercial office, and residential. If all three of those tend to follow around the stadium, then absolutely your condo is going to go up in value because you're now located in a more dense area with more amenities and people want to be there. It's just what you're seeing here in South Lake Union. So think of South Lake Union. Um, Had we put a big, huge, beautiful park here, which we should have, right, the commons, it would be worth even more, right? Um, If you have an arena there and you can see it as a public asset of which in the condo I get to walk to wonderful things, concerts and other things, like a park, it can also be seen as a benefit so long as it's well planned within the area with proper transportation that makes it easy for ingress and egress for everybody. And so let's talk more about that three-legged stool and and what you think the ideal mix of building uses surrounding an arena are um, is what would you what do you think would pop up around an arena if the zoning allowed it? So most people and you know would think that of course you know retail restaurants things of that nature you know bars, but they actually can have a hard time being successful if they're dependent on just fans coming to a game. What I personally think is always best is a balance and as the arena comes in and you're now saying okay we're creating density in this area you then want that balance of residential office and retail around it because the retail is wonderful to have around a stadium because it allows people to come earlier and stay later and it balances out traffic but that retail is not going to be successful unless it has office and residential. And if it's just office, well, that's just lunch. And as we've seen here in South Lake Union, restaurants can't survive on that. If it's office and residential, then those restaurants and bars have, you know, kind of 18-hour business. So the, the retail around the stadium is now very successful, and, and thus going to the j- game is so much more pleasurable, entertaining, and desirable. So you, you can see how it's a synergistic kind of thing, and you need all of it at one time. And unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, planners forget or reject housing and say, well, no, we don't want housing here, especially when you're going up against the industrial coalition, which is, sees housing as directly you know, contrary to their use. And unfortunately, while I, I think there is some conflict there, uh, unfortunately, I think it, it is really key that you have dense uh, residential. If an arena is in the Soto area, how do you think that would affect uh, whether or not there's going to be this dense entertainment district uh, that you uh, talked about should be? Well, the advantage is you have greater critical mass of events. So back to having a greater chance of that retail growing and surviving because it's working off of, you know, three or four different, you know, five different teams, right? If you count, you know, the Sounders and NHL. Um, so I think that's a marginal benefit. From a big picture standpoint, if you're talking about the development going south, which is where we are headed, um, it's not going to have that much of an effect than what would happen anyway, given uh, the stadiums that we have down there now. I think the biggest effect is that you'd have you know, the arena there as opposed to some corporate headquarters. Um, and putting aside the location of the arena, it's absolutely accretive to the city of Seattle to have an NBA team. I don't think there's any question of that. You know, where it goes, you can argue about it, but if it turns out that that's the best place for it or that's where it works for the party that's been able to, you know, capture rights to a team, then it's better to have that, even though someone might say, geez, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, a new corporate headquarters there. Well, just put it down the street, right? Um, you're not going to get too many arenas, right? You're going to get one probably. And it's either going to be at um, some redevelopment of the Coliseum or what used to be called 
key arena, right? Or it's going to be down there in Soto. Originally, when I was looking for um, a new site, uh, just as the Sonics were being, uh, you know, transitioned, there was a great site, I think, and I still think it's a great site, over in Bellevue on the uh, east side of the freeway, uh, just, you know, where light rail would, would touch it. But for some reason, no one has wanted to really push for that um, that location. So other than that one, um, I, I think these are the two best locations. Any concluding thoughts? You know, there are not too many cities that are in the transition that Seattle is in. For the longest time, we've been kind of a Class B city, Class A being, you know, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. But we're in a transition, you know, call it B plus, you know, A minus. The, the growth uh, is, you know, off the charts. The diversity of um, companies here, we all know what a great city it is to live here. So as Seattle becomes this world-class city, it begins to match other cities in a number of other things, whether it's um, iconic structures like what Bezos is building for us, right, with the, the spheres, um, or professional sports teams in which we're a city that has all the major sports teams, you know. So it becomes that much more of a robust city that can handle all these people coming in. Because as I think of our clients who are recruiting and retaining, they're recruiting into a great, beautiful city. So I see this as an opportunity that if we can all make it happen, the city and all of the citizens should get around it. Even if you're not a sports fan, um, I think it is still a huge plus for the city. Craig, thank you very much for your time and perspective. I appreciate uh, talking to you today. Great. Thank you for having me. Still to come on this episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, the chief economist of Windermere shares some good news coming for Seattle renters. But first, don't forget that April 17th is Sonic Boom Day. People from around the city will be sharing their voice with city council on the same day so that wishes of Seattle residents can be heard loud and clear. Visit seattlegrowthpodcast.com backslash sonicboom for tips on how to effectively engage in the civic process. Also, find and share the event on Facebook so more people can be involved. Wherever you stand, city council needs to hear from you. Have your voice be heard on Sonic Boom Day, April 17th. Now join me as I sit down with realtors Tyler Davis-Jones and Phil Greeley. I am here with Tyler Davis-Jones and Phil Greeley. They are the hosts of Rise Seattle podcast. Thank you both for joining me today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Uh, why don't you quickly tell me a little bit about your podcast and about yourselves? Yeah, so uh, we are both real estate agents. Uh, we love our city and we recognize that the rise of our economy ultimately has good things and has bad things that come with it. And so we basically want to address those things head on. We tell stories of business owners, uh, civic leaders, um, folks just every day, uh, folks who are moving here. And we just try to give an idea of who the people are, what those stories are, and then what does Seattle's future look like. Real estate agents in general, I think, are guilty of always painting whatever their city is mm. in an extremely positive light. But we want to talk about everything about our city, and we love it, and there are great things about Seattle. But as we've experienced this huge upswing and rise of the economy, um, not everything is great. And so yeah. we want to host those honest conversations yeah. and, and let our guests kind of inform us about what they're up to. And so as Seattle's grown, and you're covering it with your podcast as well, uh, one of the things that is on the horizon is an attempt to bring the Sonics back. What are your thoughts on a return of the Sonics? So I grew up in the Seattle area. I grew up in Auburn, Washington, just south of Seattle. And I my earliest memories were begging my parents to pay for the pay-per-view channel to watch the Sonic games at night. Back then, you had to get a pay-per-view box and pay money to watch them. And so I'll try to remove that bias from this answer. Um I just vividly remember when the Seahawks were in their Super Bowl run that the value of that experience to mm. the community, um, you couldn't really measure. Um, for that Super Bowl parade, that, that championship parade, we're there, we're, you know, I brought my just barely one-year-old daughter there. It's freezing cold and everybody around us is our best friend and we have no idea who they are. And so I think there's this intangible 
um, benefit that sports brings to a community. And Tyler, you're a more recent addition to Seattle. Tell me when you moved here and, and what you think of the Sonics. So I was I moved here in November 2009. Um, you know, I growing up, I was not a big NBA guy or, or really even a basketball guy. I'm 5'9", super average, can't really dribble the ball very well, right? Uh, but there is something about watching an NBA game uh, that just inspires me. And I, I think um, I think what's at stake is ultimately you're losing um, a really beneficial tool to bring the community together. There's so many people in Seattle who love basketball um, that I think we could uh, really see another sport team for us to be able to come around in some capacity. Uh, I think I think that that we're going to miss out on that if we ultimately don't bring this this team there and so would you get season tickets either of you again i'm not the biggest basketball fan uh maybe maybe for my business it's possible uh i did i did mariners tickets this season tickets this past year and loved every bit of it um so to be able to bring a client to a game that's a great idea so when when ownership the sonics ownership was um originally trying to bring the sacramento kings back i believe they put out an email to say like hey who would be interested in season tickets uh, to you know, to take that to the NBA and say we have a fan base here. I definitely clicked yes, and um, and I definitely would, whether it's the full season or package or half the season or whatever. But totally, I'm I'd be all in. And, and so, as real estate agents, would a return of the Sonics do you anticipate it affecting your careers or your jobs in any way? I don't know if directly, but I think whenever there's, whenever a city. Um, adds to the infrastructure and the experience in a positive way, then it just, it, it makes it more, even more attractive right now. Obviously Seattle is extremely attractive to a lot of people that want to move here and live here. Mm -hmm. Um, but aside from just another amazing spot to, to I'm I'm thinking like maybe if affecting home values in Soto, Georgetown area, potentially like that might be a more, uh, viable place for someone to move if they're a huge NBA fan. My long-term crystal ball is white center is going to be like a Ballard at some point. Yeah. And so if you had another entertainment district, like just not that far away from, from a location like that, then, um, then I think you could see home values rising and neighborhoods changing, whether that's, there's good parts to that and bad parts to that. If you could talk to the ownership or to the city and give them one thing that you think they should do to maximize the opportunity or maximize uh, the benefits that a return of the Sonics could bring, what would you say? I know the political process is uh, confusing and it's above my head and I, I, I don't understand the ins and outs of it. But when you have um, a billionaire willing to invest the kind of money that it sounds like, you know, Chris Hansen and the ownership group are willing to do, um, my urging to the, the city city council and the mayor's office would be to like, don't turn that away. Um, and of course we want them to explore every opportunity for the right spot for the arena. Um, and we trust that they in either spot would want the Sonics back. But, um, I think they're all about having a vibrant community. And ultimately that's kind of what we're talking about, right? We're not just talking about another sports team to arrive. It's the, it's that intangible benefit I was talking about earlier of, um, of community building that I think we have to keep in mind. And, um, if we can just remember that ultimately it's about building a vibrant community. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say just speaking to what's at stake, right? Like what is, what is Seattle going to miss out if we don't bring the Sonics here? Right. Um, and I, I, I personally don't know specifically. Um, but I just know there's so many people rallying around the idea um, of bringing the Sonics back that even just for a moral boost of the city, like that's, it can't be a bad thing. But Russell Wilson's on board now. so Right, we're, exactly. We're, it's so, it's going to happen. And everyone loves everything that Russell Wilson does. So uh, we should just do it. Makes sense. Any concluding thoughts on what a return of the Sonics would mean to you personally or the city of Seattle? I love creating moments with, um, friends and my family. Um, as time goes on, it's kind of those memories and those experiences that I remember most. And so if there was a warm place, I could take my kids to go experience a fun atmosphere. That's kind of what I picture, right? Is taking my, my daughter and my son there and, and enjoying a game together and having that memory go forward. So, um, I do hope it happens. You know, my, my, Sonic's hat that says robbed across it. Maybe I can buy one that says returned. 
something like that. And and maybe maybe if this happens too, you're just going to convert one more guy to to being an NBA fan. Um, I just think having that resource uh, at our fingertips, um, you're going to have more people get into the Sonics in general. And I speak from a guy who's uh, just never had that resource. So um, yeah, bring them here. Let's do it. I'm for it. Tyler, Phil, thank you for joining me and sharing your perspective today. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Up next, the chief economist of Windermere shares which arena homeowners in Queen Anne may want to support. But first, I want to share an opportunity for you to join me for a drink. The General Assembly in Seattle is hosting a happy hour and a panel discussion about for-profit solutions to nonprofit problems. On April 12th, I'll be moderating a discussion about how innovators can tackle important social challenges. Search General Assembly Seattle Growth Podcast to find more details on how to register for this free event. I'm here at Windermere Real Estate with their chief economist, Matthew Gardner. Matthew, thank you for joining me today. You're more than welcome. Why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? Um, as you said, I'm the chief economist for Windermere. And in that capacity, I'm responsible for analyzing and interpreting economic and market trends that can affect the housing market really across our footprint, which is essentially the 10 Western states and advising our owners and the 6,500 real estate brokers uh, on what's going on in housing and how they can position themselves better. And we're going to talk about a return of the Sonics and what it would mean for housing. But let's start with an easy softball question. Should people buy now or sell? Well, that's probably <laughs> the second most frequently asked question of me um, behind is there a housing bubble? Um, I think that it's a very tough one. The biggest question really is going to be, sure, is it a good time to sell? Absolutely. But where are you going to buy? Um, we're kind of in a chicken and egg situation. When I say that, I mean that people want to sell, but they're not going to list their homes for sale because that's a remarkably easy part until they found somewhere to buy. And if they can't find somewhere to buy, they're not going to list their house for sale. So by far, that's one of the biggest issues uh, we've got in, in today's market. Now, normally when you find that occurring, builders will start building a lot more to suck up that excess demand, but they're not doing that either which is putting more pressure on the resale market. And finally, what we are finding, interestingly enough, is that baby boomers are actually choosing to age in place. When they're retiring, they're not selling and moving on. They're staying put. So all these things in combination with each other and make it a remarkably tight market. Therefore, if you want to sell, that's easy. Um, but then you've got to find out where you're going to live. And uh, that's always going to be the, the, the sticking point. And so good time to sell, yeah, if you found somewhere to buy or if you intend to, to move out of the country. But other than that, it's definitely a seller's market this year uh, and absolutely will remain that way more than likely through next year as well. Kind of tangentially related to the Sonics, they left in 2008. What kind of changes have you seen in Seattle's real estate market in those years? Well, from 2000, it's kind of an interesting date uh, they, with the Sonics leaving in 2008 because of the fact that we entered a recession in December of 2007. Therefore, you're not in a normalized market to consider, well, what's the effect of the Sonics moving when we were essentially at the cusp of a housing collapse? So to look at it in the terms of is it good having them or is it bad having them, depending on obviously on where you live, that's a tough one. Um, certainly for the city of Seattle, um, we saw a dramatic contraction uh, in home prices because of the recession. Uh, but then we saw a bottoming out in about 2011, 2012. We've then seen a substantial increase, certainly in values, if not in transactions, from that point to today. So are we, as far as the city is concerned, uh, an improving market? Very dramatically so. You also have to overlay on that. Uh, and there's another layer there. And the other layer essentially says um, there's a value to our time. We will live closer to where we work, where we are able to afford it. Therefore, demand in the urban markets tends to always exceed demand in the ex-urban or even in the rural markets because of the fact people have to get to work and it's uh, remarkably difficult to do that if you're living in Snohomish County, for example. So we found that the city of Seattle itself has remained remarkably solid per se when you compare it to other markets. Before we go deeper into a potential return of the Sonics and what it would mean for real estate, just help me understand What's going on in the last year or two in Seattle real estate, and how does that compare? So you've been here 20 years. How does this compare to previous booms? I think the boom, is, boom nature of the market is very much still in place, and that is because even though mortgage rates have been going up, they are still remarkably cheap. If you go back in history, you can go back to 1990, mortgage rates were at 10%. 
Go back to 1982, they're at 20%. So it's still remarkably cheap. However, that said, housing affordability is a big concern of mine. In fact, it's the one thing that keeps me up at night. Now, if you look at the city itself, we saw before the recession development of a large number of apartment, sorry, of condominium projects. Um, urban denser infill product seems to make sense. That went away with the recession and that essentially has not really come back. There's one or two projects, but that's, that's it. Basically, builders are building apartments. That's where they see all the demand. Now, I would argue we're actually at the cusp of a, of a bubble in the apartment market. But that's a topic for a different, different day, maybe. But as far as housing goes, what is interesting about downtown is, and certainly the, the immediate markets around downtown, the, the Queen Anne's, the Capitol Hills, Beacon Hills, these kinds of things, I think they're seeing exaggerated demand. And that means that people don't necessarily want to be living at, at Fourth and Pike, uh, but nor do they want to be living out in Issaquah or Sammamish. And therefore, I think as the, uh, the millennial demographic, as they move out of apartments and into home ownership, which I really believe that they will, they're not going to want to move out into the countryside. So I think we're going to see an exaggerated amount of demand in the Columbia cities, the, the Beacon Hills, the Burians of this world, uh, Green Lake, Greenwood, more so potentially from that huge demographic than we will going out into the Issaquah, Sammamish, these kinds of areas. So, But if you want to continue to attract companies here and workers here, we need to figure out housing affordability, which is a very, very big issue. So I think I could talk to you all day about Seattle real estate, but let's talk uh, a return of the Sonics now. Uh, so you, you've mentioned there's renters, uh, there's home buyers, and there's home sellers. Let's consider each of them as we think about winners and losers as it relates to a potential return of the Sonics. So if there was a sports and entertainment complex kind of the, that we see proposed in Soto or maybe a remodel at Key Arena, just in general to the city of Seattle, what would that mean for the real estate trends that you've described just before? I think on the bigger picture, um, we are a, a sporting city. Um, and certainly people are very vocal, uh, and they were very vocal after the Sonics left. And we've certainly seen them be almost equally as vocal in trying to get them to come back. So uh, would it be a, a positive thing for a city? Well, certainly every major city in the country, for the better part, has a basketball franchise. Would it be great to see one back in Seattle? For the greater good, uh, of course it would be, um, and for several reasons. And The biggest one really is going to be the tax revenues that are generated from consumer spending at those events. So you've really got the, the direct uh, effect, which is the, the ticket sale and the tax revenues that can be generated there, depending on the relationship of the city to the franchise. But more importantly, you, you've got people you're bringing people into town. They're spending money. They're going to bars. They're going to restaurants. Um, so it's going to be, I think, in that respect, uh, a very big positive. But certainly there are negatives as well. Anytime you're going to be pulling in 15, 20, 25,000 people, however many it is, uh, into a city which is notorious for its congestion, that's going to be problematic as well. And so do you see rents changing or housing prices changing if we now become a city that can handle an NBA franchise and perhaps NHL hockey? Well, I think that as far as uh, as the rental market's concerned, it's going to have a negligible effect. Um, I think if anything, somebody moving into Seattle from maybe another city might be a basketball fan, that could be a positive. But is there any direct correlation? Probably not so much. Now, if you're looking at the homeowner, well, then you have to start looking at uh, where, where the location is going to be. Okay, so let's talk where the location is going to be and, and how that might affect homeowners and, and potential uh, home buyers. So if they choose to remodel Key Arena and that ends up being the site of a NBA franchise, who wins and who loses there? As far as the key is concerned, um, from a housing perspective, I'd have to say there would be more losers than there would be winners. And that's going to be very geographically specific. And you have to look at, at Queen Anne and its immediate in, environs into South Lake Union potentially as well. When we talk about, again, bringing people in, one, that's a lot of people coming on uh, on our roads. There's a problem there. Where are they going to park? There's a problem there. Um, but most importantly, I would suggest is really um, is the Mercer Corridor. Um, already, we've seen a lot of development in South Lake Union. Uh, it's already, I would suggest, at capacity. But I think the, the city council might argue with me in that respect. But that's where we are today. Now, if we look forward to when a franchise can be here, you've got to look at the fact that you're going to have three to 4,000 Google employees on Mercer. 
uh, that's an awful lot more people and potentially cars as well. Then you've got another 2,000 with Facebook. That's, uh, again, we're, talking, we're seeing a problem here. And then overlay on that Expedia's move to Interbay. Um, the Merce MS uh, perhaps today isn't quite as messy as it's going to be. So I would say that there is a big issue there, uh, just given the incredible growth that South Lake Union is seeing, which I applaud. However, we still need to move people around. And bringing a new franchise into Key Arena is just going to exacerbate an already huge problem. So is there evidence that this traffic congestion and the issue with parking would be more dramatic in terms of people's desires to buy a home in that area versus the ability to walk to NBA games or get there pretty quickly? Well, there's, I mean, certainly being able to walk uh, to, to the key is a great thing. Um, uh, however, I think what is as important, if not more important, is people's ability for access and egress, i.e. to get to their home and get away from their home. Um, that's hard enough already uh, on Queen Anne. And given the fact of bringing even more people in that we know about, together with potentially those that, that we don't know about, as in a new stadium, uh, I just don't see, we haven't got the infrastructure, I don't believe, to address that extra huge number of cars. And there will be a lot of cars coming in. A lot of supporters of the Sonics are going to be driving without necessarily taking mass transit. Even if they chose to take mass transit, when they can go to, what they're going to do, go to Westlake and get the monorail. Um, I use the monorail, it's great. Um, but I don't think it necessarily addresses that problem. So I would say that uh, without a doubt, from a housing perspective, the negatives uh, of getting in and out of your home outweigh the positives of being able to walk to a game. So now let's talk Soto. Uh, who are the winners and losers as it relates to the, a potential Soto arena location? I think if we're looking at an either or scenario, and certainly that is clearly the case today, uh, intuitively, I'd have to say that Soto is a better location. Yes, there are some residential uh, units in that market, many in Pioneer Square. Pioneer Square is growing exponentially in terms of its demand, which is really a, a remarkable uh, thing unto itself. But we we have two stadiums already. A third one seems to make sense. Uh, certainly unions will have a lot of questions because the most important thing, certainly if you look at uh, the Longshoremen uh, and the port, is the ability to get that container off the boat and onto open freeway. And they're going to be worried that there's going to be a problem in that respect. Um, that may or may not be true. Um, but I would say from my perspective, there would be more positives to having the arena sited in Soto than there would be negatives. And that's certainly applicable from a residential perspective. So let's d dig into that a little further. So in a residential area in Pioneer Square, you're saying they're going to be better off if the arena is near them. And in Uptown or Queen Anne, you're saying that they'll be worse off if the arena is near them. Help resolve how that is and why that is. Well, first of the bat, there are, relatively speaking, few residential units in Pioneer Square. You know, there are certainly some condominiums, there are uh, some conversions of warehouses, but in general, very, very small. Secondly, you've got King Street Station. And that allows a lot of people who may well be living in the south or even in the north to come straight into town and be on site almost immediately. Therefore, the, uh, I think the, uh, the way I, I believe we'll see it happening is that more people will utilize mass transit going into a transit hub. Unfortunately, Queen Anne is not a transit hub. So I think that's an offset as well. Uh, and certainly what we have not seen is any decline in, her, in values in Pioneer Square, given the fact that they already have the Seahawks located there and the Mariners located there and the Sounders located there. Uh, and certainly no one's told me or I've never seen any quantifiable or qualifiable data that suggests that having those three franchises there has a negative effect immediately on housing prices. Again, it tends to be more of a commercial area around Pioneer Square and in the, quote, stadium district than it is in Queen Anne. In addition, if you say, well, what would we do with Key Arena? I think, I certainly not, don't believe that it should be raised. Uh, I think it's an amazing facility, but it's surrounded by other arts-based facilities. So you've got Pacific Northwest Valley, you've got the Cornish Centre of the Arts, you've got all these arts facilities just to enhance that those other ones with the key seems to make sense so we have seattle center in aggregate as being the uh, almost the art center of seattle 
rather than the sports centre. Renters in Soto, should they be nervous if a Soto arena is built? Uh, well, again, uh, you've, there's a handful uh, of apartment projects uh, in Soto. It tends to be predominantly commercial rather than residential. Um, there's certainly a, a fairly large number of, um, uh, of shelters there uh, and of low-income housing. But in general, uh, would they be concerned? I would actually probably say they would support it. And certainly if you go into Pioneer Square now, I still seem to see an awful lot of uh, bring the Sonics back banners. I see a lot more there than I see in Queen Anne. And so if you own a condo in Pioneer Square, are you starting to get excited that your condo price might go even higher if a Soto Arena is built? Well, certainly I would say that Pioneer Square today, and if I look at data over the last couple of years, is one uh, which has seen a remarkable improvement. So we suddenly see more restaurants moving in. When you start to see restaurants and retail, um, creative classes moving in, that tends to enhance housing values. So if you look at the square today, uh, it is not the Pioneer Square that I remember uh, of 10, 15, 20 years ago, not even close to it. Anything else that real estate renters, buyers, and homeowners should be thinking about as the city is facing this decision as to where to put a sports and entertainment complex? I think we need to try and take as much as one can the emotion out of the equation. Uh, Let's look at it from the dollars and cents perspective. Um, We have clearly a a gentleman uh, in Chris Hansen who is remarkably passionate uh, about bringing the Sonics back. That's a great thing. Uh, He has also remarkably deep pockets, uh, along with his associates. And and it's very unusual to have a situation whereby somebody wants to build an arena without any help from the city relative to bond issuance. Now, he's certainly looking at at certain tax breaks on tickets, and this is fairly normal. Um, But that's a remarkable situation, uh, and one that many cities across the country are looking at us saying, wow, why can't this guy come here? Why does he want to go to Seattle? So, again, we need to... Try and ignore the emotion, try and ignore the noise and look at the dollars and cents of it from not only a financial perspective, um, but from a market perspective as well. Uh, it's all well and good saying, well, we already have the key. Uh, it's there. It needs an awful lot of work, which is absolutely true. But my concern is, I mean, Mercer, I think it is again at capacity. And we already know that we're going to see almost 10,000 people a day, in addition to what we see today, going into South Lake Union or through South Lake Union. Um, that's an awful lot of people when you've only got essentially between four and six lanes uh, and an awful lot of traffic lights. So uh, bringing another, uh, bringing a team into the key, I just see more negatives than positives. And that's just from a kind of a, a bigger picture standpoint, rather than looking at it specifically from a homeowner or home renter. Although it's naturally remarkably important, unless they work downtown, if they're getting in a car, um, how are they going to get out? Um, going through Ballard? Well, that's certainly possible, but it's certainly not the most convenient. From the rental standpoint, the rental market uh, has been remarkably robust. Rental rates have risen disproportionately, certainly disproportionately to incomes. And we are also bringing on about 7,000 new apartment units this year downtown. That's a lot. Um, I certainly believe that end of this year, maybe into next year, uh, if any of your listeners are renters, uh, I think we'll see some rent contraction. So I think rents might actually lower uh, or at least not go up, uh, just given a pure supply and demand situation. So I think they're going to be uh, potentially pleasantly surprised uh, in a year or so uh, when they look to renegotiate their rent. From an ownership perspective, uh, we will see some more supply uh, in terms of condominiums. I'm looking at about 1,000 units which are currently in the pipeline that could get built, which is certainly nothing compared to the apartment world. But we'll see some condos. There is demand. The issue with condominiums is, and certainly if you look at high-rise, it's remarkably expensive to build. Therefore, those are going to be somewhat elitist when you look at who the buyer profile will be. But it's going to remain a very tight market. We're going to find housing prices, even though mortgage rates will continue to escalate, um, continue to rise probably at a faster rate in the urban environment than we will see in the suburban environment. So I think that uh, ultimately the housing market is certainly stabilized back in 2012, doing remarkably well. However, the number of homes for sale now are at levels I haven't seen since almost the mid-1990s. To make it almost 20 years, low levels of supply. That's hard. 
And as of course, as interest rates rise, everyone wants to take advantage of the rates where they are today. They're clamoring. So demand is going up. Supply is not matching it. That pushes prices up at a faster rate than you'd expect to see. So I think that uh, uh, is Seattle um, on the map nationally and globally in terms of it being a place that people want to go to? Absolutely it is. Um, and that I don't think, I don't well, expect to change anytime soon. But it has problems. We have growing pains. And I think we've had growing pains for the last 25 years. Uh, we're still trying to address them. Uh, and I think by far, infrastructure is the biggest point. If we can move people around, that helps. If we can't move people around, that pushes houses prices up for those that can afford it. And it also has issues when you start thinking about where a basketball team could be or could or could not be located. Any concluding thoughts on a potential return of the Sonics and what that means for renters, homeowners, buyers, and the people of Seattle? I think it's going to be a positive. Um, I, I certainly believe that the, fran- the people that support the Sonics or did support them um, are rabid in some respects with their desire to see them come back. They're, so I would say, is, would it be a good thing? Yes, it would. Um, but again, when we talk about where they should be located, this is where I think we need to take emotion out of the equation and just look at the financial wherewithal uh, of the groups that are looking to, to move ahead. And together with the fact of if you are going to be bringing in a lot of people on a very regular basis uh, into a stadium, wherever that may be, how do you get them in? How do you get them out? And what are the negative connotations associated with that? Housing in Seattle has substantial demand. It certainly sees substantial pricing. Um, we need to try and maintain that. Um, and if we can do that, then I think that uh, the return of the Sonics, actually, I believe, will be a, a good thing. Albeit the fact I'm not a big basketball fan, I stick to rugby. <laughs> Matthew, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and, and hearing your perspective. Thank you. You're more than welcome. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Do you have an opinion on where an arena should be? Share them with City Council on Sonic Boom Day, April 17th. Visit seattlegrowthpodcast.com backslash sonicboom for more information. We are nearing the conclusion of this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, but we will end it with a bang. On next week's episode, Chris Hansen opens up about his plans for a Soto Arena, and he also shares a request of his supporters. Please be respectful. I mean, a lot of the, I know it's a very small segment of the probably Sonics fans that reacted and, you know, with with some of the uh, comments that they did to the female council members, but it only takes a few to make us all look bad. So think before you say something or write something stupid. And just remember, you know, we all have wives and daughters, you know. That's right. Next week's episode features Chris Hansen. It's a great interview you will not want to miss. And still to come in this season, former city council member Sally Clark gives guidance on how to affect the outcome of the city's process. Have it be a relatively concise message. I don't really have a rule of thumb for, you know, don't go over 300 words or something like that. Say what you need to say. And if you can, thank them for wrestling with with the subject. Uh, Don't tell them, uh, if you you don't do this, I uh, will never vote for you. They They get stuff like that frequently from people, and it really diminishes and tarnishes what you just spent your time telling them. Until next week. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast.